The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Are You Afraid, 1984, the unofficial American Horror Story 1984 podcast, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series. PapiChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, October 3rd, 2019, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the FX series, American Horror Story 1984. Please welcome my co-host, Vinny Hatcher. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our recap of Season 9, Episode 3, which was titled Slash Dance and aired October 2nd, 2019. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Imitation is the best form of tragedy. Coming clean can be pretty messy. So I want to get your initial reaction to the episode. What did you think of Episode 3, Vinny? Over... All, I would say I really liked it. It was kind of very breakneck and fast-paced. I mean, right from the beginning, I love the fact that they just grabbed you by the throat and did not let go the entire episode. Even during like the flashback sequences that we saw, there was still an element of tension building. So over, I, I thought it was phenomenal and really well done. I thought the first episode was great, but this one is just proving that so far this season, I'm hooked and I'm getting further hooked with each one that I watch. Very nice. Uh, same here. It, the episodes are very fast. Uh, I mentioned this in our previous podcast, so I have to double check to see if um, to see if my theory is is right. But I think maybe these episodes are not as long as a typical American Horror Story episode. Uh, I, I think this season is um, in the same in the same vein as maybe Roanoke. Where the Roanoke yeah. episodes were just a hair shorter than most of the episodes. I mean, not, maybe not even a hair shorter, but at least a couple minutes shorter than a typical American Horror Story episode. This season is giving me huge Roanoke vibes in a good way. Uh, because Roanoke was very fast-paced. And uh, I, I like that about the season. Uh, so far, at least. Um, you know, it's very difficult for a series to maintain a slasher genre for, you know, like 10 episodes. And thus far, they're doing a really good job with it. I thought the revelations in this episode were really interesting. Uh, I thought the deaths were very awesome and slashery. And um, the twists were were good, 
Yeah, they were really good. Uh, maybe the last one was a little too on the nose, or maybe even mm-hmm. the last one might have been a little too much, just because it seems like everyone has a twist. <laughs> but <laughs> it's almost like everyone has, you know, like a Costco card. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like they're all card carrying bad secret holders in this episode. Yes, but uh, we'll get into all of that. So uh, overall, for me, it was very good. It was a lot of fun. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of American Horror Story 1984. Here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. So, I was trying to figure out, like, how to break this podcast down as I was watching the episode because typically we usually do you know maybe some of the like different character arcs that that are um, exhibited in the episode maybe some of the major plot points some of the storylines and then to be quite honest there were only two major storylines in this uh, episode but we did get a lot of mythology on Mr. Jingles, on what happened at the camp, and uh, I feel like we should talk about that first, because I think it it leads into some of our theories. So, we'll talk specifically about, like, the Rita revelation, Uh, we'll talk about Ray's uh, reveal as well, as well as the, the, I'll put in quotation marks, the shocking twist at the end a little (laughs) bit later on, even though I will maybe tangentially talk a little bit about Rita, because it's going to help in in talking about the mythos. But uh, we get a lot of the mythos in this episode about what happened at Camp Redwood, as well as Mr. Jingles. We see that, or I should say we learned in this episode, that apparently the camp is opening up on the actual anniversary of the Redwood Massacre, 
which that's fascinating by itself. We learned that the townies like to sort of uh, dress up as jingles and, and they've turned him into not necessarily a folk hero, but sort of like a, um, a means to prank and be merry on um, the night of the massacre. They dress up as jingles, they scare people, and uh, all that kind of stuff. They, they uh, do prank phone calls and the whole shebang. And they have Jingles masks, apparently. There are Jingles masks, which is weird uh, by itself. Right. But yeah, there are like actual Jingles masks with the glasses and everything. And uh, we also learned via Rita, who's not so Rita, we'll get into that much later, that um, th- that uh, Jingles doesn't remember doing the murders. Like... They, um, when, when they did the trial, a psychologist said that he must have had a, a psychotic break. And, uh, I don't remember, I don't recall if he mentioned that if it was during the trial or, or since he's been, um, in uh, the institution, since he's been in- institutionalized, they, they, they were like, you must have had a psychotic break. You did it. This is the other. And he has spent the past uh, 14 years sort of, um, tormented over the fact that he could have done it. Uh, but with a little uh, encouragement from quote-unquote Rita, uh, it seems like some sort of killer instinct is coming out of Jingles in the present day. So, let's talk about the mythos that was brought up in this episode. Because I feel like, at least for me, it sort of doubled down on the theory that we were discussing way back in episode one about, uh, or I'm trying to, I think we might have touched on it maybe in the previous episode as well, about uh, Margaret being involved in the murders and uh, and maybe Margaret being the one that framed Jingles for the murders because she is the only one that testified against him. The whole cabin was killed. And via the new flashback that we saw in the previous episode from uh, the former camp counselor, who's now a ghost, it looked like uh, Margaret had a a bit of glee in her eyes and a bit of sort of um, um, a a murderistic impulse in her face when he saw her and he got confused and and thought it was Jingles. But um, I don't know. I feel like they're definitely hinting that Margaret framed Jingles. Yeah. And there was also the down interrogation. Like, you know, when she met Jonas that episode there was just this like persistence in her what did you see what do you remember tell me who did you see you know so there was that desperation that I talked about coming out of Margaret of like she wanted to know what Jonas remembered and when he didn't say that he because there was this I think he said like I saw you and she kind of tensed up but then when he was like and I should have gone back and I should have saved you or I should have stayed with you she relaxed Mm mm-hmm so I think, yeah, I think there has been a trail of breadcrumbs left for the Hansel and Gretel of, that we are trying to figure out what's going on, leading us directly to Margaret's little candy house. So I'm, I'm really torn. I, I, you know, part of me is like, okay, she's definitely part of it, but then that part of me is like, is this one of Murphy's famous red herrings? 
That's interesting. Uh, there's a theory, and, and we even discussed it, I think, maybe even in, in the first episode, it might as well, maybe even in, in the previous one as well, where um, are they working together? Yeah. Are Jingles and Margaret working together? I kind of feel like they're not, at least at this point in the series. I feel like she clearly framed him that doesn't necessarily mean that he was a good man because yeah. when uh, he ran into the counselor in um, the year 1970 clearly he killed him i, I would assume yep. like I-, I mean it was obvious that he killed him so he was already a tortured man maybe that was his psychotic break maybe but he's had he others because if you remember, when we saw the actual death of Jonas originally, the headlights were in his face. We heard the jingle, but I don't think we actually saw who killed him. We just heard the sound. Right. I agree with you. I, I do feel like we should assume that Jingles killed him. I mean, clearly he's on a murder spree now. Now, whether that is manipulation based off of years of being imprisoned in a mental institution sort of beating yourself up did i do it did i not do it now people are sort of giving you free reign to do it it could be that he's just taking advantage of the situation now maybe he never killed but uh we'll have to wait and see i mean jonas did not have his ear and and clearly this man likes to chop the yeah. ears off so i'm going to assume that jingles actually killed him Although, I'm sure we will get an episode. I would actually love to see an episode that takes place in the 1970s to like watch how everything unfolded. Maybe that's where yeah. we will get our um, Sarah Paulson cameo. She'll be the original camp uh, <laughs> owner or something. Because she's not going to be in this season as um, as much as she has in previous seasons. This season, I think she's supposed to be in it maybe about the same amount that she was in season one as Billy Dean. Uh, I think a lot of people assumed that we were going to get um, Lana Winters like interviewing the survivors, but if we get Sarah Paulson as like the OG camp owner, I'd be down for that as well. Or if she was Margaret's mother. Oh, Margaret's mother, the OG camp owner. Right. I could totally see like almost like a Carrie White situation with like Margaret being because the religion had to come from somewhere. Like I feel like maybe. There's a religious family. Obviously, she found God when she was almost murdered. But I, I just get the impression that she was already kind of like this pristine, chaste, and virginal. You know, Did uh, she find God when she was almost murdered, or did she find God as she was murdering? Right. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I agree. I think that we could definitely see her. And to be honest with you, I am so... You know, I thought I would want connections to the previous seasons, but the more episodes that I watch of 1984, it is actually kind of refreshing to have the slate wiped clean in so many ways. Having a new, you know, predominant new class or cast, and then also new, you know, new characters in leading roles. I know that Emma Roberts has been kind of close to the forefront in past seasons, but she's honestly anchoring this season in a lot of ways. And another people are coming in as new and others, you know, that haven't before getting a chance to shine. So I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this refreshing new horror story that doesn't have tendrils that are bringing us back to the other seasons right now. I'm curious to see how and when if they do connect it. But so far, like I said, if they stayed in 1984 and kept it like its own microcosm of a universe with these characters, I, I'd totally be down with that. 
Yeah, I co-signed with a lot of that as well. Emma Roberts is the the star of this season. I, I will agree with you on that. And um, I do like that it is a fresh cast as well, just because, I mean, let's be real, and this is no offense to, to any of the previous cast members, and, and this is me not trying to be an ageist, but they're supposed to be like camp counselors, and, and usually those are jobs for people in, in their 20s anyway so it it makes sense that the cast needed to be a little bit more younger this season um although matthew morrison is there uh and he's not on the younger side of the coin but <laughs> but he is he is involved so there's a little bit of a, a mix with the the cast um the mythos was just really fascinating this episode like i i loved every little bit of it it gave us a, a few more red shirts for the episode uh, we did get a major death from you know one of the characters that we were introduced to in uh, the very first episode of the season but the fact that we're getting these red shirts to come in and serve as uh, just sort of like slasher gore it is really nice because the cast really isn't that big so um I don't, I don't think we'll be getting, you know, a major person to die every week or something like that. Uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe next week someone will die that uh, we got to know in the first episode. But it, it's it's neat to see how they're stretching the, the night as well as, um, you know, keeping some of the main cast alive. Although, to be quite honest, I thought someone else was going to die in this episode, so... So the actual death surprised me. We'll get into that in a moment. Um... Let's see. There. Let's. Is there anything else as far as the mythos? I'm trying to remember. The one thing that I on. was going to touch on um, was that y you touched on something with Jingles that, like, I really. The more that I watch that episode, I almost do really lean towards him having been manipulated in a, a Pavlovian style. You know, like obviously before he was brought in there with the murders, I, I think that there was screws loose in his head, but he almost had this like. Innocence is the best word that I can use, or naivety, maybe that's the better word. Um, when Chambers came in and spoke to him, here's this man who's been catatonic for 14 years, and it was so easy for her to reach out to him. You know, I, I've talked about desperation as a theme in all of these characters this season, and he suffers from it as well it was like he was so desperate for someone to hear him you know after 14 years of being told he did this you know and he's horrible and evil she read him perfectly and came in there and in less than an hour conditioned him to no we're going to heal you this is what you need to do so it makes me almost wonder back then if you know if we find out that margaret was the og killer if you know margaret was the one like no you did this you went crazy and you are the one that killed everybody and you know started making him doubt himself there's there there's an interesting psyche in jingles and i'm really curious to see where they go with it because obviously it was very easy for him to start murdering in the current timeline I would love an episode that is a flashback back in the 70s and see if there was any hesitancy when he killed back then and if Margaret was pulling the strings or something else conditioned him to start doing it. That's a really interesting point. I like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, clearly, there was something about Jingles because they did reference the fact that he did uh, get uh, discharged from the military for like chopping people's ears off so he was already 
like the, the screws were a little loose but uh, based off of the fact that he had been accused based off the fact that he doesn't remember based on the fact that he has been in, um, in a, an institution for 14 years uh, I, I think this is sort of giving him the free reign and and and, and um, with the conversation that he had it's justifying for him like the fact that he can do all this because technically he's a killer anyway uh, so, or at least that's what the, the law sort of thinks. Might as well take advantage of that. I, I th thought there was a lot of, like, parallels between their conversation and um, the previous episode's conversation between Margaret and uh, Richard Ramirez. Like, the whole, you see me for the very first time. You get me. You understand me. Like, I, I mm -hmm. thought that was pretty um brilliant as far as just parallels between these uh quote-unquote killer characters yeah and the sociopathy demonstrated by margaret is just over like i, I can't overanalyze it enough and that's what really fascinates me about her because there was that also that conversation that she had with dr hopple you know, where it wasn't exactly a you see me conversation, but Hopple did kind of see that there was something loose in Margaret's head as well. And that was kind of a window that we got into her, you know, because this person's trying to help you. And it's a doctor who's obviously by the end of the conversation, she's realized like this bitch is whack. I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. So th there are definitely three key players that I see you know, at, at the end of last week's that I saw, excuse me, you know, and now we're adding to that cast. So it's almost kind of like, whose line is it anyway with who's the killer anyway? Because every time we turn around, you know, someone else is, you know, dropping another breadcrumb to lead us in a different direction. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So we've been touching on the Rita situation, so we might as well dive deeper into it because Nurse Rita is not Nurse Rita. Rita is actually Donna Chambers. She's a, um, what would you call it? She's a psychologist. She seems to find a way to, like, really connect with serial killers and to get them to open up to her into, like, confessing some murders as well as maybe, um, you know, she gets like a deeper understanding into their psyche as to why they're doing what they're doing. She seems to be on uh, sort of like the Margaret uh, Booth uh, playbook of pornography and whatnot. <laughs> I thought that was kind of fascinating. I was like, really? how many times has that come up in the past, like three episodes? It's yes. like almost like the satanic panic back in the 80s, except it's the porn panic. Yes, I was an infant in the 80s, so I don't remember if there was porn panic. Uh, but I guess there must have been if uh, both Margaret and Donna are talking about <laughs> porn as much as they I are. was like, I don't remember it being that big of a deal. Like I, I was born in 79, so I, I was just close to you like being, you know, an infant. But I remember the kind of like coming out of the 70s, like the continuation of like the feminist movement and women continuing to, you know, have more independence. And, and I remember punk. But I remember sex selling. Like, I remember it being, like, dynasty, you know, women being powerful and seducing men and, you know, Falcon Crest, Dallas, you know, all that stuff. And then, like, you know, all over MTV. I mean, look at the the exercise video with Christy Brinkley. So it's definitely interesting that the religious aspect of, like, the, the too much sex has come up in this. It's, it feeds into something else, but we'll talk about that later. It's really interesting. And so, so what she wants to do is basically 
use jingles as kind of like a test subject. She wants to be able to observe, uh, you know, almost like she's freaking Jane Goodall or something, like to observe <laughs> jingles in his natural habitat to see like why he's killing because she feels unlike like what the doctors and like Hopple have told uh, jingles like she doesn't think she he was born evil she thinks that it's all about um you know like nature versus nurture like she feels that it's 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 an it's his environment it's what he's experienced it's because of the war it's because of pornography and this that or the other and that's why he's um a, a psychopath basically and so she's like uh, we have to get you out of here first and she shows him the article about uh the um the camp reopening we get a little bit more insight into his hatred for margaret based off of this conversation and we also learn that it was because of chambers that he was able to escape because uh, she provided him with the perfect plan to get him out of uh, the institution and uh, she also does reference the fact that she will have a different name at the camp and that they will see each other at the camp. And we learned that she got the different name because she basically stalked the actual nurse Rita. She followed her to the gas station that we've seen on the way to the camp. Uh, they do banter a little bit. It's slightly creepy and off. Uh, off-putting clearly nurse rita is slightly freaked out and we see that um fake rita ends chambers aka chambers ends up um well we don't really see what happens but clearly she makes her presence known that she was hiding in the backseat of the car kind of like that urban legend where you know they're they're, they're always hiding in the backseat and we learn that uh, she gets tied up and gagged and whatnot and placed in, I believe that was the boathouse. And then once yeah. our group of people sort of find her, she's clearly shook. She doesn't want to deal with anybody. And when she runs away from our people, she gets oared by Jingles. So bye-bye, uh, oh, yeah. real Nurse Rita. We also see that, uh, I, I guess, so that the, the group of of, um, let's call them kids, the group of uh, counselors don't leave the premises. Um, she uh, knocks out Brooke, but we don't know um, where Brooke is. She gives her, uh, she injects her with uh, horse tranquilizers or something. I don't know. I'm not a nurse. Uh, her words. So, Those are the best lines in the episode. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about the whole Nurse Rita situation. What did you think of it? Uh, were you surprised? Did you like the twist? I will say that this whole situation, at least for me, completely negated a fantastic twist that I thought was going to happen in the previous episode. I thought Rita was dead, and I thought she was yep. going to be a ghost. And uh, because they kept on like showing us the wound and it's clearly it's bloody and whatnot. And with the introduction of Jonas, um, or not the introduction, but the revelation of Jonas in the previous episode, that he was a ghost. I was like, is Rita going to be the first character that's a ghost that maybe doesn't know is a ghost? So uh, this episode completely, I think, uh, debunked my theory from the previous podcast. But uh, I, I really liked what they did with Rita. What did you think of the whole Rita situation? 
It honestly took me completely by surprise. Like, out of left field. She did so well playing the role. You know, like, I when it happened and she just instantly switched from Rita into that cold, calculating, clinical, slightly sarcastic bitch, I loved it. You know, I was kind of sad, but at the same time sad in the way of, like, okay, you're no longer one of the good guys, but okay, now I am fascinated to find out I want to know her reasons, because, and I hope we find them out. I really, really do, because she only tells Jingles she's doing this because she has her reasons, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about her character. But the, the result with her drugging Brooke and just, like, damn, girl, you were good at what you were doing. Like, I was completely expecting her to die in this episode, honestly. Uh, I expected that they were going to be trying to leave and like someone was going to throw something at her while she was driving and then they were, she was going to wreck the car, you know, but no, it completely derailed from where I thought it was going and turned her from, you know, what was previously a relatively non-prominent side character that I thought was just going to be fodder later in the season for a murder to someone that I'm really interested to see where it goes. So I think it was a really surprising twist. The actress played it really, really well. You know, she's basically doing Inception, playing a role within a role. And the whole scene with the nurse and the the creepiness and their conversation and the when she sat up in the backseat and she just had that smile on her face before she injected the nurse. I was like, you know, uh, we're, we're getting a lot of people in the killer's gallery. The, the roster's getting high, but I'm okay with this one. I think it's going to be really fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. The twist was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. In the beginning, as they were showing us like her story and like how she got involved with Jingles the week prior, I was like, is this going to be also a fake out? Is she really not going to be a psychologist? Is she going to be sort of like a serial killer groupie type of thing? It turns out, uh, well, she could be both, to be quite honest. But it turns out that I guess she really is a psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, you know, person. And um, that was really interesting. I I was here for it. Uh, I thought she played it really well. I like seeing the switch uh, because she played, you know, like being all nervous uh, in front of Brooke and, and then bam. She was like, oh, if you could see the look on your face, like, uh, you know. I bet you didn't expect this. It, it was it was really good. I'm glad they didn't kill Brooke. Um, I feel like, it, I mean, it's really obvious, but I feel like she has to be the final girl if there is going to be a final person. Um, I do hope that there are multiple survivors, though. I still have no idea what they're going to do with this season. Like, we had this entire yeah. discussion in the previous episode with um, with Madison about, like, the parallels with Roanoke because Roanoke... The second half of the Roanoke season, it all took o- o- like took place over the course of a night. And it looks like, I would say maybe for these first five episodes, it's going to all take place over the course of a night. I don't think they're going to bring kids into the mix. I-, I don't know what Margaret's plan is. I don't know if her plan was to, um, I don't know. To, to like do another massacre on the anniversary of the OG massacre. I don't know. So we need more information on that. But I do feel like the first five episodes are going to cover this night. The sixth episode of the season, uh, I mentioned this in the previous podcast as well, uh, is going to be the 100th episode of American Horror Story, period. And so 
if they are going to do some sort of twist that shakes up the season, I would assume that they would do it then. To be quite honest, I'm much like you, Vinny, and I hope there isn't a twist. There has been a twist, oddly enough, since the Roanoke season, and uh, I kind of hope that they don't do one, just because I do like what we're seeing, and I don't know what I would want the twist to be, because I feel like any type of twist would completely shake up the series. Yet again, I don't know how they would do this for like five additional episodes. (laughs) So it's like, I'm happy with what they're doing, but I'm scared about the twist, but I I don't know what the twist should be because there are many options. And there are a lot of theories online that we've discussed. We discussed way back in our first episode, uh, like things like, are they making a movie? Are they making a movie in the eighties about something in the eighties? Are they making a movie about the eighties, but it's present day that they're making the movie. Are we going to get some sort of, of uh, Roanoke type of thing where not necessarily it's a dramatization and whatnot, but like maybe this story will end and then we'll catch up with our survivors in the present day. Um, I guess there's so much that they could do, but I'm really liking what they're doing here in the eighties. And I, I don't know if I want to leave this just yet. Yeah. And it's funny because I've been reading in my downtime, like, you know, I like keeping track of like Reddit threads and subreddits and to see what theories people come up with. But other than the ones that we talked about in the first episode of the podcast, when you start getting beyond the obvious ones that it could be, there is just, it starts getting further and further out there. Like I read one earlier where they were saying that, oh yeah, Montana is totally Mallory from Apocalypse and all of these guys are under another identity spell and I'm like I, that, no, no, no that, that was last season I don't want that again <laughs> that would be too much of a cheat like I don't mind the concept of them filming a movie and then all of a sudden the yeah. cast starts dying just because even though it would echo a little bit of Roanoke it would be slightly different if it's if it's like I don't know. For me, at least, it would be slightly different. Like, I I wouldn't see it as much of a Roanoke uh, reboot versus, um, you know, maybe Scream 3, which uh, I I think would still be kind of interesting, nonetheless. There are a couple of theories about the Blood Moon coming back. Maybe that's why we're seeing the ghosts. If they incorporate something like that, you know, to sort of give a little wink and a nod to a previous season, I would be fine with that. I feel like we have enough of a connection with Richard Ramirez being an actual character this season that we might not necessarily need another thread to connect to a previous season. But if it's a small thing like Mythos, like the Blood Moon or something like that, I'm perfectly cool with that. Uh, As far as twists, I just... I don't know what else it could be besides the obvious that they're that maybe they're filming something or that we will catch up with our survivors in the present day and maybe they have to go back to the camp for some reason. That's the other thing that I was thinking about too is that you know maybe this is you know someone remembering what happened or telling a story and then after the fifth or sixth episode we go back to the present day. The other thing that I thought about is you know it, it could be kind of like I think it was Scream 4 where it was the TV show within the TV show 
um, you know, that kind of thing, like someone's watching a TV show and then, it, you know, we suddenly pan back out of the frame. I don't I really, I, the more that I try to come up with the twist, the more I want us to say where we are. It's refreshing. It's new. It's not following the tropes of the seasons previous to it. You know, we've got, it's its own machine and I think it deserves to stay that way. But like you, if it does turn into something similar to Roanoke where we find out it's a movie or a television set, I'd be okay with that because I, I know that they would do it well. And that's only something they've done once before in all of these seasons as opposed to them making some kind of desperate twist to tie it there to last season and all the predecessors. I, I definitely think that it would not be smart if, the, if that was to happen is to try and link it back because I think we do need a break from the connected universe. You know what's interesting? Because you, you were talking about someone recollecting. What if, like, at the end of uh, the the fifth episode, or at the start of the sixth one, like, we see that all of this has been someone, like, doing a campfire story. But like, That's kind of, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, but, like, talking about the actual history of the camp, and they are reopening the camp. After, you know, what would it be, 80s to now, like, 30 years? Yeah. 30 years since the massacre. Yeah, it would be, well, 84, so 35 years since the massacre. They're going to finally reopen the camp. And then if there was anyone that died on the property, they return as, like, a ghost that night. Because all of a sudden it's like, I don't know, I'll say it again, like the blood moon is back and all the ghosts are back and um, because they're under the influence of the blood moon or something like that, they, they're more sadistic and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and one of the survivors um, returns as like a nurse or, or something to sort of put a stop for it, put a stop, um, put a stop to it all once and for all. Yeah, I, that was that would actually be really interesting. Or it could be something that they're telling the campfire story to you know the group of counselors in the present day, and you could pass it off as the people in the story look like the counselors that are there now, just because you know sometimes when you're telling a story and someone's doing it, they the people that they're looking at show up in in that story. It, there, there's so many different ways that, that could go. I think it would be interesting. Uh, and it would be even funnier if, you know, like they had Sarah Paulson come back for a cameo as older Brooke in present day and she gets killed off in the first episode of being in the present day. And there's her cameo. I think that would be hilarious. I like it. We have no idea where this is going. But no. it is fascinating nonetheless because they could really go anywhere with uh, with this season. And uh, we're all expecting a twist. Uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see if we actually get it. I do think it is noteworthy that we're going to be getting the 100th episode of the series this season. And I feel like they have to do something special. I almost feel like they should have had Apocalypse as the season this uh, for, for for this season so that they could have used that to celebrate the 100 episodes. I, I think the yeah. um, the um like the the trip back to Murder House would have been a really nice episode to serve as like the 100th episode of the series. Um, you know, I would assume that something like Apocalypse was probably really difficult just to do, period, to like reunite everybody. 
uh, or at least, well, not everybody, but, like, the majority of, like, the most important characters from um, Murder House and Coven. So maybe it was, like, you know, a, a pie in the sky, like, once in a in a blood moon type of situation. <laughs> and so they had to take advantage of that in the previous season. And, and you know, maybe that's why they had to do it then. And, and they couldn't wait on holding it for the uh, season that would have the 100th episode. But um, it is a, a little bit of a shame. Uh, although I hope that they do a really good job with this 100th episode. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm hella excited for it. So uh, let's see. So before we get into the whole Ray situation, we did get some pretty interesting deaths in this episode. We got um, two townies that were dressed as uh, Jingles to get killed by Jingles. We got Nurse Rita, the real one, getting ored. Uh, talk about Deep Throat. And, <laughs> um, and then we also got another townie dressed as jingles he didn't get killed by jingles he, he was it was death by um impalement but it was because our group thought he was jingles and and so they they took advantage of the situation and um tossed him down into a pit with spikes and unfortunately it was not the real jingles uh let's talk about the deaths i don't know if there was anything that stood out to you what did you think of the moment with um the uh the nerdy i'll call him the nerdy jingles and it looked like real Jingles kind of either felt bad for the dude or maybe sympathized with the dude or, or was a little empathetic towards him because he didn't kill him. What did you think of that yeah. situation? That was interesting because it almost humanized Jingles. You know, and it, it kind of made me cock my head for a second and say, is he going to kill him? Is he going to kill him? Mm-hmm. Okay, no. And, and I wasn't sure if it was the mask, like maybe it made Jingles think that he was like hallucinating another version of himself or something. Uh, but then I, I kind of took away from it that, okay, yeah, he here's this guy who obviously has, you know, been teased and like really wanted to come tonight and had to push it for the guys to let him come. So he, I think that Jingles kind of saw a lot of himself. And it was kind of one of those moments where the killer is like, you know, you remind me a lot of myself. So I'm not going to kill you. Or it could also be, you are so pathetic that you're probably going to die regardless of what I do. I'm just going to let you live what little bit of time you have left. <laughs> there was a couple of different ways you could take that scene, but I chose to take it as he felt sorry for him because he saw a lot of himself. But I do want to pose a question to you. Who dug the pit? Because Jingles escaped that night. That's interesting. We haven't talked about the pit yet because it has to deal a lot more with the race situation, but we will get into that right now. Um, Well, first up, let me rewind just a moment because um, I was very worried that the guy was going to get killed. But then as I saw sort of Jingles' reaction to him, and this was before we got sort of like all of the, the info that we got from the Chambers side of the story with that flashback, I was like... Is he going to kill him? And and then he did it. And I was like, okay, I, I like that. I give props and respect to Jingles for not killing the dude. I did feel like deep down in my mind that he was going to die anyway. I was yeah. like, someone is going to think that he's Jingles and this poor dude is going to die, even though he got spared by the actual Jingles. So um, I, I thought that was a little um, darkly funny. Uh, I thought the other deaths were really cool. Very 80s, very slasher, very gory, very bloody. Um, beautiful. 
As far as the pits, so in like the discussion of the pits, uh, I mean, there um, they we learned that there is a historical reference to the pits, and then pits like that were used uh, in Vietnam to sort of uh, uh, capture slash kill American soldiers and whatnot. Uh, I was like, okay, so they gave us this little bit of info. We know that Jingles was um, in the war, and uh, clearly he uh, either got fucked up because of the war or was already a little screwy pre-war. I was like, maybe what they said is kind of what what uh, the truth might be that uh, Jingles might have dug it not necessarily that night but maybe years prior when he was working at the camp I don't know I don't know what the other explanation could be outside of it was Margaret that dug it not necessarily recently but maybe if she did have some sort of master plan to frame Jingles, or maybe not even if she had the master plan, like maybe afterwards if she was like, I'm going to pin this on Jingles, I need to dig this up and make it look very uh, warish so that it could tie into the fact that uh, maybe Jingles had some sort of psychotic break because of the war, and this will sort of add credence to my accusation that he was, in fact, the true killer. That's the only thing that I can think of. What about you? So I thought about the pit, too, as being something he could have dug back in the day, but the only thing, because I went back and I I watched a couple of scenes again before we talked tonight, and I noticed that the stakes, they they looked fresh. They did not look like they'd been there for a long time. Like they still had, because with wood, when you sharpen it like that, you're exposing the, the center of it. And it's that bright yellowish color. But if it had been something he dug back in the day, they would have warped and kind of dulled a little bit, but also browned over all those years of exposure because I, I was thinking the same thing as I was like okay this is obviously something he did back then but when I went back and I watched through that again they did look pretty fresh and there was no overgrowth it it, it really obviously it took somebody a lot of time so that's where I'm curious if there's something else that we're going to find out like there's someone else there with Margaret working for her or maybe even Chef Birdie because that one's obviously an odd duck. There could be something there, and we haven't seen much of her since the first episode. I almost think maybe her and Jingles had a thing. That's very interesting. Okay. All right. Dun, dun, dun. I like it. I'm glad that we have someone that knows about the intricacies of, um, of uh, what would it be, of, of cutting wood or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> something probably with the word dendro in there, because I think that's like related to trees. But yeah, I, I just, I, I, I was, I was obsessive compulsive about thinking that because I'm, and that's what I like about this season is it's, you know, I have loved American Horror Story over the years. Cult was my least favorite season to the point that I've never finished watching it. You know, really? but other than that, I loved all of the seasons, but there has always been this element of predictability. You know, okay, somewhere during the season, this is going to somehow link back to a previous season, whether it's a big reveal or just a small Easter egg. This character is going to do this, and you can always kind of 
you know, see and predict a lot of it after watching the previous seasons. But this season, it almost feels like a brand new show. And I keep guessing and I find myself going back like I did with Murder House when it was first airing and digging through these forums and digging through these threads, trying to see if, you know, my theory has already been presented and debunked by other people, you know. So it's it's fascinating that it's keeping us on our toes like that. It's very, very refreshing. Well, that's interesting that you didn't finish Cult. Uh, Cult is uh, I, I mean it's not my favorite uh, to be quite honest I like I I'm like the phobias and whatnot uh, they don't really bug me like the whole uh, bees and and the um I don't even remember the name of the the the, the, um, the phobia that people the agoraphobia really... was no not agoraphobia the one with the holes that sort of oh, creep people yeah, out yeah, yeah, like yeah. that doesn't bug me um i'm not agoraphobic uh like all that kind of stuff it, it that was probably for me like the least scariest of seasons just because it, yeah i like i didn't connect with any of the of the things that were horrific it was really interesting to watch as far as just a character study to see you know a particular character go through everything that uh, they went through and then they sort of turned out into something else at the end of it i thought that was kind of fascinating the whole cult of personality and and seeing how that was used in that season and how they uh, used history to explain it i thought that was kind of fascinating as well um and and we got some really great new additions to the american horror story family in that season so i would say go back and finish watching it i would not go back and watch it from the beginning to like do a rewatch but like if you remember exactly where you left off go back and start watching it again um adina porter for me was like a revelation that season it was you know she was coming off of her amazing performance in roanoke and uh she was for me at least one of the stars of uh cult um so uh, I, I think it's worth at least finishing the season i don't know if that's convinced thing... you but I mean, I've thought about it, and I, I have watched the ending scene with Sarah Paulson's character and what she does. But to be honest, and I love Sarah Paulson, honestly, I usually really enjoy her in these in these seasons. I just I hated her character so much, all because of the screaming. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> you know, it's like it's somebody burped and she's screaming. I agree. She does get, I don't know when you left, but she does at one point have a turn. There's a twist in a, in, in a sense, uh, and in okay. particular it's with her character. And so there is a, um, a, a psychological turn about halfway through the season. So she does get better in the second half when she's actually okay. motivated and, and she has a plan without really yeah, spoiling that... it. Oh, sorry. I, I was just saying without really spoiling it, because I have no idea how far you got into it. I think I got to the flashback episode. There was a flashback in the last episode that I watched with, like, the 70s and uh, related to the Manson cult. Oh, where, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't but a lot of it was, was just, I think I just didn't connect with the story. I, I think because for me at the time, like, I was already so tired of hearing about all the political stuff going on. And, you know, I was reading about stuff that, 
you know, I, I watch these shows to escape. And I think for me, it was just, and even now, if, if Cult was the season airing right now, I probably would have felt the same way. I, I love it when there's the supernatural aspect or when it's like the mystery murder aspect. And that, that season just kind of, it just didn't do it for me. I, I don't think I could put my finger in 100% why. I probably will at some point have it in the background and finish it. But it just didn't hook me in like the other seasons have. Okay. I feel ya. Now, going back to this series, uh, I love your theory on Birdie. I think that would be really fascinating. And I do like her having a connection with uh, Jingles. So uh, we're going to have to wait and see about that pit. So, um, well, let's talk about it. Now, uh, in the episode, we start off exactly where we left off. It's funny how we've talked about everything except for the major cliffhanger from the previous episode. (laughs) But we start off where we left off. We have our groups split. Those on team quote-unquote Rita were being uh, attacked by uh, the Night Stalker. Those on... um, on uh, Xavier's side of the coin, they were being attacked by the townies, uh, sort of trying to freak people out dressed up as jingles. And so uh, there was a really fascinating moment during the whole attack with the Night Stalker and, and that group because the character beat that I wasn't really expecting was Ray's sort of cowardice because he didn't really exhibit that in the previous episodes. So I thought that was an interesting character beat. Clearly, it, it sort of goes into his backstory. We learn that uh, he was involved in a murder, shocker, the year before. Uh, his uh, fraternity was doing sort of like uh, pledge week and there was s- some severe hazing going on and uh one of the pledges just sort of couldn't took it couldn't couldn't take it and uh, he needed a break and and ray sort of sympathized with him both being uh, men of color and how they have to sort of uh you know work harder in um, in life period and he was trying to sort of give him a pep talk but then the guy ends up passing out and falling down the stairs and uh, Ray thought he was dead. And uh, clearly, bad stuff would have happened to the fraternity with the dead body on the premises. So Ray is like, I'll handle it. He does this whole elaborate thing where, you know, it was like the edge of a cliff. And, um, you know, he's he's going to, you know, position the guy. So it looks like he drove off the cliff. But then at the last moment, the guy comes to... And he's like, what's going on? And it looks like Ray is going to try to save him, but he ends up not being able to. He loses his watch. He ends up getting a scratch on his arm as well. And uh, he thought he was sort of like in the free and clear, that they would sort of find uh, the the car and and assume that... uh, this or that happened uh, but then like nothing ended up happening and then uh, a couple days before the whole um well uh, just to rewind a little bit more because of that situation like he had to drop out and he took that uh, low-paying job at the hospital and a couple days before the whole camp thing they had just discovered the car because initially they thought he was just a missing person and uh, he's sort of running away from the law because he feels like they're going to find his watch and put two and two 
together. And so that's his major secret. And we learn about the secret as he's confessing it to Chet because as, uh, as they're all escaping and they all run away, uh, Chet actually returns and saves um, Ray from being slashed to death um, from, by Richard Ramirez. And as they're running away, and they end up falling into the pit that we discussed and Chet gets impaled in it. Uh, Ray tries to pull him off, and um, he's scared that that uh, he'll bleed out, and so he leaves him there. Uh, Chet passes out. Ray does his confession. Chet comes to. Ray freaks out because Chet now knows his secret, so he needs to escape, and he needs to live, and so he climbs out. He convinces everyone that, that just Chet, um, you know, they got separated, and um, he ends up getting the keys to uh, Trevor's motorcycle. And him and Montana were going to go down to the, like a, the, the call box to call for help. But once Richard Ramirez shows up, he ends up driving off by himself, leaving Montana, and then gets decapitated by Jingles. So let's talk about all this. It, it, with the whole cheesy gloriness of the of the of the the, um, the the cheesy goriness gloriousness of the head flying off, oh, it was amazing. It was, yes. you know. And the funny thing is, though, is I, at first I was kind of surprised that Ray died, but then the more that I thought back to what we talked about that first episode, I actually touched on something that is slowly starting to show through with some of these characters, and that's that they said they were all friends. But as it comes down, you're really starting to see that not all of them felt that way. And Ray is a perfect example. You know, he, he was just saved by someone who obviously views him as a friend. But when push came to shove, he was ready to abandon this guy to save his own skin. So I think that Ray definitely deserved what he got. I also think that his soap opera level elaborate setup of his friend in the car off the top of the hill was just wow. Like... You're on a college campus. You couldn't have found, like, a flight of steps somewhere <laughs> and said he was, like, stumbling home drunk and fell down those steps and died that way. Like, it, it was really, really interesting. And it, it goes with that theme of, like, polarization that we have back in the 80s, like with the Red Wedding with Brooke in the previous week's episode. You know, this just, like, everything is, you know, big shoulders, shoulder pads, big hair, big deaths. You know, I thought it was really funny. But when... Yeah, I, I thought for a second he might actually get away just because of the coward. And that would have been an interesting twist if he did to see if he would have brought back help or not. But as soon as Jingled walk, Jingles walked out, I had a very much uh, – I think you touched on this in the first episode. I had a very deja vu sense of I know what you did last summer because every time I see Jingles in his outfit, that's what I think of. Mm. But no, it was over the top and the, the spurting and the fact that the, the, the bike just kept going a little ways. Yeah. Definitely. I didn't like the cowardice thing because it just felt like it came out of nowhere because mm. he didn't, it didn't seem like Ray had exhibited that in the previous episodes. Um, clearly did. this was his big episode. So if they were going to show it, I, I mean, I guess they had to start showing it in this episode. I, I thought it was, it was a little weird. Uh, it, it, for me, it came out of nowhere. 
Um, they made a very strong emphasis on it throughout the entire episode. Right. Once once we got uh, his actual storyline, I, I could kind of get it. Um, and it really made him completely like unsympathetic towards the end and so the death wasn't that much of a surprise i thought the choice of death was really interesting <laughs> just because it was very um 80s sort of cheesetastic in any fantastic sort of way i do wonder yeah. because of the introduction of jonas if we will be getting more ghosts and and clearly we have townies and and that kind of thing that could come back as ghosts but uh, will Ray come back as a ghost? Uh, will uh, Hopple mm-hmm. come back as a ghost? Um, clearly, the, because we're in the American Horror Story universe, uh, once a character dies, it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't see the character again. Hello, we saw Hopple again in this episode. Uh, they, they do things with flashbacks and, and uh, showing us you know conversations that we hadn't seen before. So it doesn't necessarily mean that an actor is completely gone. But since they opened the door to ghosts in the previous episode, I wonder if we will ever see some of these characters again as ghosts with um, some of our people not necessarily knowing that they are ghosts and maybe even the, the character not necessarily knowing that they are a ghost. I do like the idea of, um, uh, well, I sort of had it with Rita. Like, Rita it would be a ghost, and then all of a sudden they find Rita's body, and Rita has to deal with the fact that, oh, shit, I'm a ghost. They could do that with um, with Ray, or they could do that mm-hmm. with another character that they kill off in the next episode. And I think that might be kind of interesting. I mean, they've already opened the door to ghosts, so I hope that there is a payoff with that with one of our characters. Um, but uh, I will say, it, it, it was um, the whole confession was fascinating. I agree with you that the, um, the whole death of the frat brother was ridiculously over the top. But uh, now thinking about the previous um, flashback in, in, in the last episode uh, to Brooke's wedding, it, it kind of falls into that trope, which makes it sort of ridiculous, but amazing all at the same time. So uh, I have no idea like why he would have thought that that would have been the most uh, acceptable plan uh, to get away with uh, the... Well, it wasn't even really a murder. It was like an accidental death. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I guess he might have been drunk. He might have thought that that was like the best thing that he could have done. I don't know. Yeah. And the only reason that his cowardice wasn't a surprise is if you remember in the first episode, he was so desperate to get out of town. Well, that, that is like, true. That's what kind of made me think that there was something going on. So his story kind of I had that inkling in that first episode that this kind of came full circle. But yeah, no, it was definitely. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm fascinated with this season. I really, really am because it's, it's calling me back. Like last week's episode really brought me back to. And I don't know how familiar you are with Dynasty, but there was an episode in that 80s soap opera called the Moldavian Wedding Massacre, where there was this humongous wedding and like the whole family was there, and these like people came in and shot everyone at the wedding, and it almost made me think that like Murphy was giving like an Easter egg call out to that that season and that episode episode with the over-the-top poofy wedding dress and like the guy obviously it wasn't you know rebels coming in and shooting them like in dynasty but it and i i feel like the car thing 
with Ray, and that's where I'm going with this, is I think there's homages happening continually. I just can't place them all. But that car thing, I feel like I've seen that in a movie before where someone went to those lengths to mop up a murder and it didn't go well. Oh, cool. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, like, there are homages to to so much. Not just 80s stuff, but just uh, so much with this season. And, and it's really fascinating to watch. So, uh, okay, we've discussed everything except for the final twist. Well, I, I should... I should reference the fact that uh, that Chet does get saved by Xavier and Trevor, and, and when they save him, that's when they end up killing the poor nerdy um, Jingles, and that's when they realize that they killed the wrong Jingles. I will say, I thought Chet was the one that was going to die in this episode. Same. Um, yeah, like I I didn't expect Ray to die as he was um, escaping. And I was like, okay, he's probably going to die. But uh, I did think that Chet would be the one to die. To be quite honest, the acting was a little difficult to watch. It really, really was. I, was I know. I was like, oh, is that what it looks like to be in pain? Well, you know, it's not even that. Like, And I feel horrible for saying this because I know that he's trying and I know, I know. that he it's already... It's his first time. Yeah, but there was that whole – if you know the uh, the controversy about him being cast and people were giving him shit because they were like, I don't think he can play straight. And he was like, well, I played straight for all my life. you know. And I w- I'm always willing to give someone the benefit of the doubt. But there's just like – it was – oh, God. It was so dude, bro. It was like, dude, bro, I'm dying. Help me. Don't, don't leave me here. And then it just went up to like histrionics. And I was like, uh, yeah, this is hard to watch. Oh, see, that wasn't the part that bothered me. What bothered me was, like, him emoting the pain and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, I wasn't buying it at all. And, and I apologize to him. It is his first time. People can get better. Not everyone is, is perfect the first time that they act. But it was it was hella cringe, much like, uh, for me, in the first episode, I referenced, uh, it was, like, during the time in the... Um, in the van when they were talking about the drugs and like the steroids and that kind of thing. Like that was a little cringe for me is acting just a teeny yeah. tiny bit. Um, and I never really ta- like to talk about an, like an actor's acting. Cause I always, I slightly feel bad when I say it. Cause I know they're trying their hardest, but it was just hella cringe. Uh, there's nothing else mm-hmm. to say about it. And I literally thought he was going to be dead. I thought the character was gone uh, because I was trying to yeah. think I was like, I feel like his arc is kind of done. He's already admitted to the steroids use uh, and unless he's got some bigger darker secret in his past like I don't see where they're going with this although I do remember that when he was cast he was supposed to be uh, Emma Roberts's love interest like that's yep. how he was introduced to the world and I mean who's to say things could change you know, from the the initial announcement to uh, the actual filming because I would assume that they might not have had an actual script there there was a little bit of uh, interest from Brooke uh, in Chet in the very first episode but we haven't really seen them do anything with that yet uh, th- who's to say if they if they uh, end up connecting uh, in uh, future episodes, but um, yeah, I was like, I think his storyline is uh, maybe over. So I was like, they could kill him, but uh, they haven't. So uh, I guess we're going to see where they go with that. 
I almost wonder if his use is going to be that, like, I'm really a good guy, so at the end of the season or this arc, I'm going to be the one that, like, saves Emma Roberts' character. That's kind of the feeling that I get. Like, I just, like, his arc is over. I don't, he's not very dimensional, and he hasn't been built out yet much. So maybe there is an episode coming that we get more, but right now, I agree. I think that the character is kind of floundering without a use or a purpose. And the only thing I can think of is that he's going to be, you know, used to be a swan song that allows Brooke to escape or something along those lines or saves her valiantly. Very true. Okay, so let's talk about the cliffhanger at the end. So, uh, so Ray gets the keys to the motorcycle, Trevor's motorcycle, and Montana is going to go with him and they're going to go to the call box and they're going to call for help. And so, uh, once they get to the cycle, the, the motorcycle, they, they realize that Brooke, something happened to her. She has been dragged away. And Montana really wants to help her friend out. But Ray's like, nah, fuck this shit. Like, we need to get the hell out of here. Like, I'm not going to die here. And once Richard Ramirez makes his presence known, and, and basically says, I'm here to finish off what I started, he... Uh, hightails it out of there and Montana freaks out and curses him out and uh, now Montana is alone with Richard Ramirez and there's a bit of a stare down he gets all up in her face with his knife and is Montana a goner well no because they start making out and then she pushes him and is like why is she still alive all right. I feel like, because you did miss the previous podcast, so I feel like in the first episode, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Vinny, but I feel like you said that Montana would have a connection to Richard Ramirez. And I don't know if it's that you had read something or you just, it came out of thin air, like an epiphany. I think it was thin air, if I remember correctly. Okay, so you did say this. So uh, a little hat tip to you. What did you think of this? Do you feel like this might have been one twist too many? Or do you think this this makes things sort of like extra juicy because it's allowing us to sort of keep questioning what's going on? And I feel like the obvious answer is Brooke when she says, why haven't you killed her yet? But could the her or why is she still alive whatever it is that she said exactly do you feel like this person that she's discussing could not be Brooke and could be someone else so inadvertently predicting this <laughs> from the first episode when it actually came out because I think it was me I, I can go back and check at some point but regardless I didn't like it and I think it speaks to the fact that there were just so many and, I, and honestly, we only got two major revelations this episode, but we also got the sub-revelations with, like, Ray, Jingles, Donna, Rita, you know, real Rita. There was so much going on. But at this point, the rogues gallery is just becoming so highly populated that I'm wondering, like, are we going to get to a point where everyone here is not a good guy? You know, like, because I'm still suspicious of Brooke. I feel that there's something there. And... I do think it could be someone other than Brooke. You know, there, there's there's Margaret, there's Birdie, 
but I, I think all signs and objects point towards it being Brooke. And my boyfriend and I were actually talking about this, and we both kind of said the same theory at the same time, that we're wondering if, you know, oh, we got the flashback to Brooke's wedding last season. What if this is her dead husband-to-be's sister or previous wife or previous spurned lover or ex-girlfriend or a strange family member that's just as crazy as he was because the violence that you know i i, I recognized in brooke kind of paralleled to the stuff shown by the husband to be in the red wedding like the 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 edginess he was obviously very jealous and very high strung and i see that in montana as well that she hides it with the drugs and like the laid back you know persona but yeah i I think it was too much. Honestly, it's partially because I like the character so much as well. I really do. And, you know, I didn't see it coming. But when I say that, it's not in the usual way where I'm like, oh, that's a cool surprise. It was kind of like a wah, wah, wah way to end the episode. I think that they should have saved that. And I really hope that it's it's not going to be corny because I think at this point that that twist could very well be very corny. Okay, I'm being such a Gemini when it comes to this ending, because part of me liked it, but part of me didn't. The part of me that doesn't like it is because I did feel like it was just one twist too many, and I do agree with you in in regards to the fact that it seems like everyone isn't necessarily a good person, and so does that mean that at the end of the day, like, Brooke is also not going to be a good person as well? Because everyone seems to have a little bit of a, a, a nefarious, shady kind of past, and um, I, I don't know if if we need everyone to be like that. It, it does seem to be a bit much, because it does sort of look like they all randomly, like, are are um random randomly ended up becoming counselors at this camp even though they all were connected in a sense uh, they all really weren't as good friends as as we assumed they were so that on top of the fact that uh, now they all have like a deep dark secret and um, they might uh, be evil people i feel like that's just a bit too much but um removing that out of my brain as far as just the twist, I did find it kind of interesting. I mean, I mean, I, I think Richard Ramirez needed to have a connection to someone outside of Brooke. And uh, Montana kind of was the obvious choice. I think it sort of explains why she didn't make that big of a deal about the car in the first episode. Clearly, she recognized it, and um, she knew that she um, she maybe won a little big D in her life, <laughs> but uh, she didn't want her maybe boothang Richard Ramirez knowing that she's cheating on him. So, uh, you know, that whole freak out and not necessarily telling Trevor, like, hey, there was a car up there, now that all makes sense, to me at least. Um, we still have to Good see... Point exactly what their connection is like are they a couple are they friends are they teaming up for revenge or something like that i kind of hope it isn't brooke just because i i feel like that's just hitting the nail on the head a little too hard um but i don't know who else it could be i mean it's not birdie um and uh like the the uh the pickings are very slim like yeah. I, I don't know if it's gonna be margaret so i feel like it's kind of going to have to be brooke 
but uh, why, Brooke? And if there is a familial connection, it would be kind of weird. Well, if there's a familial, familial connection, it would be kind of weird that Brooke didn't know her. If there was sort of like an ex-boyfriend um, type of situation, maybe um, he yeah. he dumped her uh, and then all of a sudden Brooke was the next girl that that he was with and let's say they got engaged really fast or something like that and she had been really hopeful that she was going to be engaged to to the guy um maybe i could see that kind of happening um i don't know i guess we're gonna have to wait and see uh but uh part of me liked it part of me was just like this might be a little too much yeah i i think it's one of those things that i don't like it right now but I'm open to that opinion being changed once I actually see next week's episode and we learn more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm saying this is a little too much, but I so love the freaking idea of, <laughs> um, of Birdie like, being an acolyte or something of uh, right. Jingles. So uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly how this uh, connection happened. And uh, if they explain it away properly, then I will be here for it. So uh, before we get into the MVP, was there anything else in this episode that you wanted to discuss? Say maybe a small moment that you wanted to make note of before we head into the MVP? Yeah, I, I think the the interesting thing that I found is that there's so much going on that they're, they're keeping us on our toes is one thing. But what I'm really fascinated with is you mentioned how everyone's connected. I, I think that maybe we are going to continue to see more and more connections arise between these characters. And what we were just talking about actually made me go back to thinking about Chet. And if there is going to be some other way that each of these people are brought together in like a, a web. And that could go to this being like, you know, a purgatory type situation where ghosts from the past are connected with people in the present through family or something, but now I'm starting to like become a conspiracy theorist about all the various connections there could be between these people. Very interesting. Stay tuned. That's all I can say. So I, I like it though. I'm here for anything. <laughs> so far, I'm enjoying the ride. It, it is fascinating watching like how they're stretching this one night for as long as they're, they are going to stretch it for. But I'm here for it. Like it's very believable. Like clearly, this was an episode of like impediments. Like they they it seemed like they had a means to get out of this camp at the end of the second episode and this was the episode in which uh, like all of that went to shit i mean literally because yep. there was a bag of shit but uh but but it makes sense and and um in the story it, it sort of makes sense as to why they can't escape the camp because they've been losing their means of escape and, and, and the camp is isolated from the world in, in a sense so uh, it, it's it's making sense to me and I'm, I'm digging that like I feel like sometimes with uh, with the horror genre there is the, the suspension of disbelief but sometimes you know you can kind of stretch that a little thin and and you're like really like why can't they just leave like really like the most logical thing would be to leave and at least they've given us reasons as to why they can't leave at the moment so now it is time for the mvp the most valuable player state which character impressed you throughout the episode and why once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Vinny, your MVP? I chose Xavier. And 
kind of random because we didn't talk about him that much this episode, but the reason that I chose him is he actually had some really subtle and surprising character development happen. He started off being like this really shallow, self-absorbed, you know, your typical 80s bisexual like hunk you know like you never knew if if he really was a good guy or if he really is that shallow and then he did seem to be that shallow but in this episode he really kind of stepped up and like I, I hate to use the phrase became a man or acted like a man but he just was brave you know and it really was interesting to see how he was in when things got down to the wire that he the character stood up was not going to leave until people were saved. Like he was going to go get, I think it was Margaret or Birdie. Um, and I really like that. Like he didn't get a lot of prominence, but what he was involved with was actually really, really well written. And I'm, I'm here for that character. Like I really want to see him make it to the end because I'm actually starting to really enjoy him. That's a very good choice. And I co-sign all of that. His character development this episode was really interesting, because at the end of episode two, at the start of this episode, he had really pussied out. Uh, I mean, for lack of a better word. Like, he was freaking out. He was going crazy. Uh, it looked like, uh, you know, he could be the next one to go, just because of how, uh, like, scared and um, just freaked the frack out he was. But he really did get a... Um, he gained a lot of confidence throughout the episode yeah. and power and strength. And that was really fascinating to watch. So uh, Cody Fern, you did that damn thing in this episode. And uh, I'm giving the MVP to quote unquote Rita slash Chambers. Uh, she was just such a fascinating character. This episode, the, the switch from being freaked out by Ramirez to going, you know, stone cold, like you are not going to mess up my little guinea pig uh, natural habitat uh, experiment, Brooke. Uh, I thought that was hella fascinating. I thought her scene with Jingles, as well as with Hopple, was really well done. Um, whether, I mean, clearly she was manipulating Jingles in a sense, because she had a clear objective and in a sense she was manipulating Hopple as well. Uh, I highly doubt Hopple knew or even suspected that this woman would be helping Jingles uh, break out. So uh, that was really fascinating to watch. Uh, I feel like um, these added layers to this character just um, it's going to be really interesting to see unfold in the next few episodes so yeah fantastic although there were a lot of really great performances throughout the episode yeah it was really hard to pick my mvp yeah so now it is time to rate the episode how would you rate this episode on a scale of one to ten keys the point system is allowed and if you found the episode exceptional deserving a more than a ten you may grant it the coveted golden key and yes you may jingle it Vinny. <laughs> I'm I'm withholding my golden key so far this season. I, I have not reached that dinamon with my appreciation and love for an episode. This one I'm I'm going to honestly I wanna say eight point five. And the only reason for that is that that toss in of the twist at the end and so much was given this episode that while I loved it, it was very fast paced and it was really, really interesting. I just thought that the the last bit 
it fell kind of flat for me because there was so much that it was getting a little hokey. But I am, like I said, open to next week and over the progressive episodes, that opinion changing. But if it hadn't have been for that that twist at the end being ticed on like a rotten cherry on top of the cake for me, I probably would have given it a nine and a half, ten. All right, so an eight and a half from you. I'm going to bump it up a, a tiny bit. I'm going to go a full point higher, and I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I was toying between a nine and a nine point five, and I think I'm just going to kick it up to a 9.5 from the 9 uh, because of the twists and and I know I, I harped on the final one we both sort of like dis- discussed our slight disgust with it uh, but there is a part of me that did like it so and that part at least for right now the nicer part I guess is is winning <laughs> and um yeah, like everything else was just really fascinating. I was captivated. I was on the edge of my seat. It was incredibly suspenseful. It was um, a lot of fun. Uh, sort of like the 80s kitsch is is all over the place, and I'm really here for it. Um, it th- this series, this season, is a really fascinating pastiche of like everything 80s, everything 80s horror, and I was here for it throughout the entire episode. Uh, I always find it fascinating whenever a a series, and, and not just American Horror Story, but um, there have been other series out there that have tried to do the slasher genre over the course of a season. There was that Scream series over on MTV. There was... Um, Harper's Island a couple of years ago on CBS. I love Harper's Island. I love Harper's Island as well. And uh, there was something else that I was thinking that uh, now... now, Slasher? Slasher, yes. And there was another one that I was thinking of that I can't remember. That it was that they were... It was the slasher genre over the course of a season. Um, Well, I I can't remember it. But uh, I always find it very difficult. Like, it, it is very difficult to, like do something that's typically done in like 90 minutes and to spread it out over like 10 hours with commercials. Oh God, but yeah. um, on occasion, it can be done and it can be done very well. Uh, Roanoke was kind of slasher-ish uh, in, in a sense um, just because of like the, the amounts of, of death in that um, series, uh, even though it wasn't really, I mean, it would, uh, the, the the true definition of the season probably would not be a slasher, but it, it is the type of idea of a slasher um, movie in the sense that it's it's all done over the course of a night or something like that uh, and, and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I feel like they're doing a really great job with it, and um, I'm consistently on the edge of my seat. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't want this night to end, at least not yet. So I'm not over it. I'm here for it. So I'll give it a nine and a half. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Are You Afraid 1984. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash PCR, Are You Afraid? Follow us on Tumblr, Are You Afraid? Dash, A, H, S dot Tumblr dot com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. 
Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good evening and sleep well. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Are You Afraid 1984 every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio archives. Good night.